0: To introduce our second speaker of this session, uh, Anna Chako is from the Department of Anglo Saxon, North and Celtic in the University of Cambridge, and she's going to be talking to us about critical strategies in, Ashing out in the thank um Thank you so much. Um, first, I, I want to thank the organizers and um, especially Lizzie for noticing that I'm working on this text and inviting me to speak. Um, it's yeah, a real honor to speak here, and I've just learned so much already, um, so thank you. So I'm going to talk about Ashling and Matt Conglina, The Vision of Matt Conglino, um, a humorous satirical tale, which is sometimes regarded as a bit of an anomaly within the Ljava Brag. Um, it's a prosometric satirical narrative which focuses on poets, clerics, and kings, and in which each of these groupings is criticised in um, various ways and with varying severity. So, there are two versions of the tale which survive. Um, designated resentions B and H, based on the sigla in the manuscripts from which they derive. B is the Yawa Brak version, um, and H is preserved in a largely 16th century manuscript, Trinity College Dublin 1337. The Liar as we know, contains a large volume of devotional material. Um, so we've been hearing about this already, but passions, homilies, biblical exegesis, um, materials relating to the D. Trinity College Dublin 1337, um, by contrast, is largely made up of a high proportion of legal material. Both recensions of Ashling and MacConglinna um, are generally dated to between the mid 11th and mid 12th centuries on the basis of the language, and usually towards the earlier. Side of that, so late 11th, early 12th, um, although within this range proposed dates have been necessarily tentative. Moira Herbert suggested the narrower range of between 1124 and 38 um, for the composition of a possible original version of the tale, which she regards an earlier exemplar to both B and H, based on a political and contextual reading of the plot. So Despite a a general appreciation in modern scholarship of expressions of learning in both texts and the considerable entertainment value of both, neither ascension has gained that much scholarly attention so far. Studies which have been done have tended to focus on B, um, which I've highlighted in blue, um, and H is highlighted in yellow, so discussions kind of covering both are in green, but most of these are introductions um, to editions. This might be because the only editions of the text also emphasize B, um, so Queen edition is of B with H in the appendix, and then um, Kenneth Jackson's edition is of B only. Where comparisons of the recensions have been made, um, they've tended to center around relative dating, with B usually considered the later version of the tale, despite its earlier manuscript witness, um, for reasons I'm not going to go into here. Another tendency in comparative comments is to describe one text as more sophisticated than the other, and this can heavily depend on the interpretive interests um, and perhaps personal taste of the critic. So I think an exception to this trend um, is Eva Williams' study, which is partly um, concerned with a particular difference which she perceives between the two texts. Her article demonstrates, through a close analysis of a passage constructed very similarly in both recensions, that B seems to convey um, more unorthodox and capacious theological learning than H, um, relating particularly to the nature of original sin, angelology, and replacement theory, or the theory that mankind replaced the fallen angels of heaven. As Williams notes, many of these themes uh, reflect theoretical religious study, and concerns which would not have been of a special interest to the laity, perhaps, um, or to clergy who were not experts in theological matters. My primary interest in this talk is with B, the liao Brack version of the tale, um, and a sense of the authorship of B as deriving from an intellectual framework more deeply kind of embedded with it, um, sort of engaged with theological and church doctrine than H, um, has been suggested by Eva Williams and is supported, I think, by Scott Guara's study, which considered themes of gluttony, lust, and penance in the B text. So, in this talk, I'm going to, um, I intend to build on the work of William, Williams and Guara to consider how a greater degree of specialized doctrinal learning um, may be woven into B's critical techniques in ways which alter and layer the text critique of a religious institution. I will then move on to consider what has been perceived as an interpretive conundrum, the combination of B's expressions of religious learning and its expressions of apparently irreligious irreverence, um, and suggest some ways B's subversive humour can be approached as both critically meaningful um, and doctrinally normative. So, for clarity, I'm going to run through the plot, although... Um, I'm sure many of you here already know this tale. In both recensions, um, and Maconglina relates how a maverick learned figure named Aner Maconglina um, embarks on a journey across the island to Munster, where he is neglected on a visit to the monastery of Cork. In both B and H, Anair's overarching concern to eat well is conveyed before he reaches Cork, so his kind of motivation in the text is um, quite explicitly, greed. And he responds to the poor hospitality there by reciting an insulting verse about the abysmal food. And there is consequently sentenced to death by the head abbot Manchin, um, but is saved by a last-minute vision bestowed by an angel in B and by the patron saint of Fahan, um, St. mura in H. With this vision, it is foretold that he is destined to rescue the king of Munster, Cahil MacFingener, from the king's possession uh, by Lohenreis, a demon of gluttony. In both B and H, the vision turns out to be a visually absurd otherworldly pilgrimage to a land where various nominal categories are replaced by rich foodstuffs, including landscape features, architecture, clothing, people and animals. In one section of the vision, an heir is advised by a priest or a healer figure to cure his problem of gluttony by eating to the point of absolute saturation, that is, vomiting. In both B and H, the vision turns out, oh, sorry. Um, In both B and H, the vision tale, replete with images of food, is recounted to the king by Anair, and tempts the demon from Cahal's throat, so saving the king and thereby all of Ireland. In B, Cahal, now cured, demands further recitations of the vision, while Anair is richly rewarded. The text then closes with a narrative voice declaring a list of increasingly absurd blessings for all those who recite the vision tale faithfully. In H, by contrast, the text closes with anair absolved of the charge of slander against the church in a trial of law, and Manchin, the abbot of Cork, made to give anair his small grey cloak. So the setting of Ashringham at Conglina is 8th century Ireland, during the time of the Oganaut Munster King, Cahill McFinginer, who died in 742. However, Moira Herbert has convincingly argued that Cahill's character is actually a surrogate for a contemporary ruler, the 12th century Munster King, Cormac McCarthy. Much of her argument um, rests on the tale's denigration of the monastic community at Cork, which she aligns with signals in the historical record of the centre's resistance to ecclesiastical reforms during the first quarter of the 12th century. In both recensions B and H, the meanness of the community of Cork when An Air visits, combined with the excessive food imagery linked to ecclesiastic constructs and figures in An vision, highlights problems of deficiency and excess in connection with the centre at Cork. As Herbert notes, this is partly achieved by means of a heightened focus on the material and the bodily. Herbert states, um, food is used both as a metaphor and as image to present an ecclesiastical establishment that is, that is defined by conspicuous consumption um, and by absorption with appearances. Both recensions satirise the improper and hypocritical behavior, conduct of high-status, learned, and religious figures, um, and this is very much focused around a critique of the community of Cork. However, the ways in which Inez's visit to Cork is presented... Um, and his experiences, while well, he is there, are very different in B and H, affecting the tenor of the two-text criticisms of the institution um, and the respective characterization of the main vehicle of critique, the provocative figure, Aner MacKonglina. So the section of the narrative detailing Aner's experiences at Cork is much longer and more elaborate in B than in H, um, and there are several interactions between Anair and the monks of Cork in B which are missing from H. Kenneth Jackson and Henry Jeffries both referred to a greater number of parodic allusions to religious materials in the Cork episode of B. And they focus particularly on allusions to hagiographic materials um, or the passion achieved through depictions of Anair as either saintly or Christ like. I'm going to come back to the Christ like depiction of Anair. Um, But first I want to consider another element unique to B during the Cork episode. This aspect is more concerned with everyday principles of monastic practice than illustrations of divine sanctity and is achieved through a number of references to specific religious observances. So I've listed um, the relevant elements which are in B but missing from H on the slide. First, and they're asked to be given the host... Um, explaining that it's proper to receive communion um, before, literally before taking a journey, but he asks to be given the host before death. So um, this looks like... Um, is it extreme unction, is that what it's called? But um, the host before death. He then gives a tenth of his food for the poor, a reference to almsgiving, um, and there is repetition in his language of the term legar is rightful and in um, thrak, fitting, highlighting proper custom... The and the inversely improper behaviour of the monks. Finally, it is pointed out by the monks themselves um, that they have, spent tortur- they have spent so much time torturing an heir that they have neglected their own religious duties, including ringing the bells, giving mass, preaching, and feeding the poor. In these passages, um, the collective bocht, poor, become a presence in the text in a way that is missing from H, um, only that Rusty. I spoke about this yesterday, which is kind of making me think of another layer to this. But, um, so if we look at the, the relevant quotes. When an heir divides his food, he separates a tenth for the poor. And when the poor perceive this, they are depicted reacting to this gesture of charity. So all the paupers rose up then when they saw the tithes and they stretched out their hands. Shortly afterwards, the monks themselves also refer to the poor, when detailing their neglect. They cry out for a delay of execution, explaining, We have not rung the bells, nor celebrated the services, nor preached, nor offered Mass. The poor have not been fed by us. Let us not reach the end of Sunday without feeding ourselves either. This time, references to charity um, or almsgiving are supplemented by references to preaching, offering Mass, ringing the bells, other everyday principles of monastic practice which are neglected by the community of Cork. Preaching, um, particularly, is referenced again in a later scene, in the B text only, during Anair's interactions with the king, Cahil. Here, it is presented in terms of the rehabilita- rehabilitation of a neglected custom. Before narrating the vision to the king, Anair compels the king to fast for a night. The following morning, Um, He then refuses to let Cahill immediately stuff himself, declaring, we fasted last night, so we will have preaching first thing in the morning. In H, the inappropriate conduct of the community of Cork is illustrated by the poor provisions for visitors, Manchin's excessive fury at a near satirical verse, and possibly a description of Manchin's comfortable warm bed, um, which is missing from B, where it turns up in a different kind of context. The impression in H is one of hypocrisy conveyed by the juxtaposition of the meanness of the fair and the pleasantness of Manchin's sleeping quarters. In B, by contrast, the inappropriate conduct of the monks of Cork is extended to their neglect of specific religious observances, including almsgiving, preaching, and offering mass. There are two homilies um, on fasting in the Learbrack, a Middle Irish homily edited by Atkinson, um, and a Latin Irish homily um, edited by Rashim McLaughlin. Both homilies are based on Matthew six sixteen to 18, the section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which deals with hypocritical displays of righteousness and links fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. The Latin Irish homily on fasting um, in the Learbrack contains a discourse on gluttony, which expresses a constructed parallelism between foods which corrupt the body and vices which corrupt the soul, such as slander, anger, envy, and vain glory. As McLaughlin explains, um, this metaphorical association derives from the sectional gluttony de spiritu gastrum magiae um, in Cassian's De Institutis. This figurative relationship between food and vices chimes with the organisation of food imagery in both recensions B and H of Erschlingham and Konglinna. In both recensions, the frame tale portrays individuals expressing abst- abstract vices, um, such as anger, vainglory, and perhaps slander. Concepts which then can be read as figuratively transformed into abundant images of rich and fatty foods associated with ecclesiastic constructs within heir's vision. In both recensions, then, the portrayal of gluttony is aligned with religious hypocrisy, as the outer appearance of the community of Cork, a religious Christian institution, clas- clashes with images of its true gluttonous and unchristian behavior. It is only in B, however, that the theme of gluttony is supplemented with references to the neglect of almsgiving and prayer, elements which are commonly linked to fasting and homiletic and exegetic materials. Both homilies on fasting in, Liao- in the Liao Brac open, um, following a formulaic exordium, with reference to how the two remaining principles, prayer and almsgiving, should be joined inseparably to fasting. McLaughlin also refers to the Latin sections of a bilingual homily on almsgiving rather than fasting, um, which similarly follows the exordium with a declaration of the inseparability of fasting, prayer and almsgiving the addition of these ref- of the references to these specific religious observances in B um, might be read as having a double effect, um, pointing to the neglect of the monks in particular practical duties of their office, um, but perhaps also deepening the text portrayal of religious hypocrisy and gluttony through an allusion to them- thematically relevant homiletic doctrine um, and possibly even the underlying scriptural passage. I, mean, I realise that these are, these are kind of the author doesn't have to be thinking of the homily, but it's kind of possibly an automatic association um, when you're embedded within this kind of um, uh, this milieu that puts these things together in practice as well as in, in writing. There is a final element of this feature of B that I want to note. And ability to act as a vehicle for criticism occurs simultaneously with depictions of his own questionable approach to religious observances. In the first reference to almsgiving, Anner divides his food for the poor, um, but then any elusive critique of cork seems somewhat undermined by Anner's subsequent decision to eat all the food himself. Nonetheless, his reasoning may also convey authorial familiarity with the finer details of church doctrine. A quite pragmatic passage of the Latin-Irish homily in the Leabhar Brac states, fasting is to be perf- performed with almsgiving, for fasting without almsgiving is no good unless someone is poor, so that he has nothing that he could give away. In the B recension of aeschlinger Mac glinna Anair explains that if he knew someone who was Koru, um, more suitable, or Bochter, poorer than anyone else, um, okay. or possibly, as Wesley mentioned, um, poorer than Achille Dei, He would give the tenth to that person. He then surveys the paupers and lists all the ways in which he himself is more deserving. While his reasoning is self-focused, the logic of his argument is sound, um, at least according to this section of the Latin Irish homily. As elsewhere, it's hard not to feel that Anair is able to exploit religious learning dexterously, um, picking and choosing what is useful to him. Nonetheless, this too could be read as indicative of an author's conversance with the details of homiletic doctrine. This discussion of references to specific religious observances in the Cork episode of B, um, builds on Williams's conclusion that in certain passages, an intricate and expressive familiarity with Christian doctrine may be exploited to a greater degree in the critical techniques of B than H. This is done in thematically appropriate ways Um, which achieves criticism of the poor conduct of the community of Cork on a practical level in areas which are not emphasized in H, while simultaneously aligning this with overarching critical themes, perhaps, present in both texts of religious hypocrisy and gluttony. A problem with this conclusion, however, um, which clearly troubles Williams and others, is the irreverence with which B deploys such religious learning. In the sense of heightened incongruity generated by the juxtaposition of an heir's questionable character and depictions of his sanctity. Scott Guara suggested an eventually reductive effect, arguing, for example, that the author explores themes of absolution and penance to deny the efficacy of both. He stated that although at maconglina airs man's indulgences um, in the excesses of sin, the light tone of the work denigrates and even denies the merit of absolution, a principal function of the church. Williams, by contrast, um, suggests that despite the sense of trivialised religious learning, the more than average knowledge of Christian doctrine, particularly in B, points to a highly religious individual rather than a blasphemous one. And She urges us to rethink um, reading Ashley at as purely satirical. I'm leaning towards what I think Williams is referring to, um, and to what Lizzie Boyle discusses more directly in her article on ironic narratives in the book of Leinster, that serious normative religious meaning can be conveyed in subversive, ironic, and humorous ways. In the B-text, what has been described as a near-blasphemous likening of the greedy and iconoclastic anair with Christ, has been seen as especially problematic, It has been read very differently. I'm going to offer a tentative reading of this feature of B, um, with a sense of this kind of deep theological learning in mind, um, and suggest that continued emphasis on as absolute and contradictory unlikeness to Christ, reasserted alongside every evocation of his Christ-like aspect, is important in underscoring the incongruity which generates comic effects, but also in defusing the threat of blasphemy. The ways in which Anair is depicted as Christ like him be, um, but missing from Hage, are on the slide. So, firstly, Anair is whipped and tortured. He then suffers a mock trial. He, dec- he then declares he will go to his death, free whom a Lord, favor our Magister Christ, free aheseth. So, in humility, like our Master Jesus Christ went to his passion. He then cuts his own passion tree and carries it to the place of execution. And finally, like Christ, um, Aner requests refreshment at the point of death. On the one hand, the mock trial demonstrates one mode in which um, Anair's Christ-like aspect can be read as performing a critical function, reflecting primarily on the community of Cork. In the depiction of the mock trial, a stark articulation of the disregard of the monks towards societal but also moral rules is conveyed. The monks of Cork use their ekne, learning, aulus, knowledge, and archidel, verbal or poetic training, apparently conducting the trial according to proper legal channels. Um, But when they find no legal route for execution, they simply decide to do it anyway. Figuring Anair as Christ then extends the significance of the text critique of Cork from local and societal parameters to a profound spiritual level, as it emphatically associates Iner's stay at court with Christ's experiences in Jerusalem. The mock trial is thereby likened to the phony trials undergone by Christ, before the Sanhedrin and before Pontius Pilate, who finds no charges against him, um, but has him crucified anyway. The constructed resemblance between Christ and heir um, has less to do with reflecting well on heir than heightening the impact of the broader criticism advanced by the text towards community at Cork. However, at the same time, Anair's similarities with Christ are complicated and undermined by the way that his contrariness to Christ is also repeatedly highlighted throughout this episode. So just before Anair is whipped, um, reference is made to his sinfulness. So the text states, it is then that his, his original sin... And his own manifestly working sin um, came against him. And that's how I've translated Fekath follows Genetic Fein, but um, I'd be interested if anyone kind of has a different suggestion for that. Um, I'm guessing it's his, his own actions, the things that he um, has sinned in. This expresses an essential difference between an air Christ at the Passion, um, emphasized by the use of the reflexive pronoun fing. Christ is the paradigmatic innocent, suffering for the sins of others and not his own. Um, Aner, it is made clear, suffers at least partly because of his own layered sinfulness. In terms of rhetorical style and characterization, Aner's unlikeness to Christ is also repeatedly underlined, and this might seem obvious, but I think it's quite important. Despite Aner's declared intention to go free from a Lord um, in humility, he is verbose and abusive to his captors, calling them curs, robbers, shitty dogs, um, illiterate brutes. Repetition and verbal excess in his lit- lists of insults throughout the Cork episode emphasise this sense of difference to Christ-like humility. Finally, when an heir like Christ on the cross asks for refreshment, um, the demand is actually for an excess of sensual satisfaction and comfort, in emphatic contrast to Christ's own brief statement and simple request um, when on the cross he says to the soldiers, I am thirsty. An heir instead asks for uh, my fill of fatty rich food and good, pleasant alcoholic drink, and a beautiful light covering of fine clothing over me, so that neither cold nor heat oppresses me, and a feast of food for a fortnight for me, before going to meet death. Incongruity and the emphatic unlikeness of an heir to Christ is important to the construction of humour. Conceptual absurdity, and perhaps the flirting with the shocking or taboo association of the two figures, plays with role reversals and evocation of the unexpected, in ways that were presumably intended to generate comic effects. This technique also, perhaps, distances the nurse sufficiently from Christ um, to diffuse the the threat of blasphemy. It is always clear that the resemblance is, as it were, on some level, um, always a joke, at the same time, however, the very, this very incongruity could also be read as critically meaningful, contributing further to the ways in which the B-text satirises the community of Cork. In another passage in the Gospel of Matthew, Christ himself articulates his likeness to those who are perceived as unlike him. In this passage, Christ explains to the upright, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger, and you made me welcome. Lacking clothes, you clothed me sick, and you visited me. In prison, you came to see me. The upright confused asked when they did these things, having never met Jesus before, and he replies, insofar as you did this to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. In B, um, an heir is inserted into many of these vulnerable situations, and he is consistently refused. A final difference between B and H um, during the Cork episode that I want to quickly highlight relates to the description of the guesthouse that Anair stays in when he arrives at Cork. So the guesthouse is mentioned in both recensions, but it is not described in H. In B, by contrast, it is described in vivid and um, uncomfortably realistic detail, and several neglected customs are systematically outlined. It is described as cold and dirty, There's no one there to greet him or to wash his feet, and he sleeps in lice-ridden bedsheets. The fairly lengthy description, um, 19 lines in Jackson's edition, um, features a kind of uh, doing all the actions himself that should be done by others. So he hangs up his own book bag and he um, washes his own sandals and and, uh, kind of makes his own bed. And it closes with the words, no one came to inquire about him or to see if he needed anything. Following this, Anais is given a scanty meal, and it is only in B that he is then tortured, imprisoned, and stripped naked. Finally, again in B only, he then articulates his desire for the basic needs of food, drink, and clothing in his last request, even if this is conveyed in terms of excessive luxury. The openings to both B and H focus on unsatisfactory hospitality experienced at the Monastery of Cork. The developed characterization of the Nair as both like and completely unlike Christ, almost entirely missing from H, might, like other elements of B, be read as playing on thematically appropriate sections of scripture, um, here focused on the Christian instruction towards hosp- hospitality and charity, attenuating and layering the nature of this recension's critique of the unchristian conduct of this powerful religious institution. Could B, in the Cork episode, um, be read as capitalizing with comic effect but a serious moral message on the illustrative and contrastive possibilities of the phrase The least of my brothers in the characterization of an heir oh, sorry that's... this analysis builds on the conclusion of Williams that the authorship of B might be more firmly embedded within within an intellectual context informed by Religious learning, Um, and I've tried to take this a little further to consider how this might affect uh, the B text satirical messages and how it might allow us to approach some of its interpretive difficulties in new ways. This aligns well um, with other elements of B's manuscript context, of course, and the high volume of devotional and exegetical material in the Liao Brach. The findings of the papers in this conference um, will further nuance our understanding of that manuscript and advance our appreciation of the position of Aislinger-McCondlinor within it. These are very preliminary thoughts um, on some of the distinctions between B and H, um, and there are other distinctions which I think would v- very much reward further study, particularly a f- playful focus on textual authority in B, um, and an interest in linguistic redundancy, which I think is much less prominent in H. From the other side, I think a stronger emphasis perhaps on the uses of satire in H um, might be worth exploring further. There is much more to say about both these learned and highly entertaining texts, um, but I suggest that exploring the differences between the recensions as potentially linked to differences in technique, narrative emphasis, or compositional context, might allow us to better understand each text's respective critical strategies, um, and thus particular nuances of meaning and satirical focus. Thank you.